When we first came to White Oak, we came to White Oak in a high school, in Ross High School. Um, that was kind of a, when we were deciding to move churches, that was kind of a hard decision to make. Do we want to go to church in a high school? Where uh, our kids go. Yeah, where our <laughs> kids go. And we said, you know what, we're going to see what it's about. And we went to the high school, to church, and we're like, this is awesome. And then things started happening. We started hearing about the building, the, this new building being built. And what excites me is, is we have so many more places we can go just within our community, you know? Just trusting with our finances, trusting with, you know, volunteering, even our time. Um, beyond just doing the, the, the shaking commitment, financial commitment, I think both of us stepping out to do more things here at church. Some s struggles you know, we come into, I think everybody is coming into right now with the economy and just, you know, being busy parents of three boys and you know, where, where do you find time to do that? It's hard sometimes, especially nowadays with the financial aspect of it and having trust with your time, you know? Everybody's busy and, and everything's expensive. But if you have trust in, in God, things are gonna get better. I've learned to just trust more and to have more commitment. We came into this knowing that we were gonna make a commitment, but we didn't really talk about it until it was here, until he asked, what's your commitment? We decided to take a leap of faith and a leap of trust. And uh, we went with the bigger commitment because just in the faith and the trust of God and what it's gonna to do to our family and go from our family out to the outreaches of the world. Well, my wife's a CPA, <laughs> so she sees the books a lot more than I do, and I'm kind of a free spirit, so at the museum center at Shaken Night, we both wrote down a number, and then we showed it to each other, and she looked at mine and I looked at hers, which hers was more conservative because she knows the books better, but we prayed on it, and we went with the higher number. And since then, things have, God has provided again for, for us that that bigger number is doable now. Because we have so many more places we can go just within our community, you know? Yes, I would love to go to Senegal, but I would also like to go to Hamilton, you know? I would like to go put roots in Hamilton. I would like to go to Oxford and put roots in Oxford, I, you know? I think we have a lot of potential to reach a lot of people. The way the church is going, and I see that happening within my time frame here. I see, you know, I see another church planet somewhere, and, you know, I don't know who that's gonna be, but I can see that happening. And, that's what excites me, is about staying true to the community and reaching out through the community, but also seeing things worldwide happen around me. What's gonna happen beyond this new fantastic building? 
foresee just um, getting out into the community and you know expanding maybe another campus um, overseas and I just I just see us getting bigger and and um, stronger in our community I think here in Ross I think we have a lot of potential and I'm excited about the future not just here in Ross but beyond Ross. It is exciting to hear Clay and Karen talk about how they have a heart for reaching other people, right? That is an exciting thing to hear. Now, they want White Oak to remain strong in the communities that we're in, right? The communities that we're a part of. But they also understand that there is others who still need to experience that full life that Jesus has to offer to us. And so it's amazing to hear. I love to hear how Clay and Karen are dreaming Big. They are dreaming big in anticipation of the things God wants to do for the future of White Oak. I'm right there with them, y'all. Let's put a church in Hamilton. Let's put a church in Oxford. Let's put them wherever God wants to send us, right? That excites me. That challenges me. That pushes me forward. Now, if you've been on this shaking journey with us, and this is something you run, maybe you found this season hard. Maybe it's been a challenge. Listen, we're not promised that this is going to be easy. I just want to encourage you to keep trusting God. Keep trusting Him and what He can do. Allow God to use you this season as a time of learning to trust him more, to put more into what he can do deeply in your life, to create what we would call a surrendered heart to him. He wants to do something in you so that he can do something through you. Now, if you're new around here and you don't know much about this shaking thing, but you've seen the shirts, you've seen the stuff around, I just want to give you a next step. If you want to learn more about shaking and what that means and what we're doing in this two-year deep level of trust and discipleship and generosity, you can check out our website, shakenchurch.com. Go there. It's got a lot of great information about what shaking is, what it means, what's involved in it. Or you can stop out in here in the lobby. There's a wall there on your right as you're heading out. You can find lots of great information about shaking there, learn about what those bold moves that we're going to be doing as a part of shaking. If you're ready to jump into that, that's something you're ready to do. Listen, you can give in a number of ways today. If, you're, if you want to be generous with what God's given you, you can give. They're on the screen here, online, text. You can mail those to our Colerain office. We even have boxes in the doorways where if you want to drop your gift, you can do that today. We just want to thank you for being a part of Shaken. Thank you for coming along with us as we're on this journey of deep trust. We believe that God is going to do big things in this next season. Happy Father's Day, first of all. I got my Father's Day shirt on. Um, I bought it myself. No one bought it for me. Um, they, uh, they, don't, they, you know, they don't normally trust me with buying my clothes, but I did it this time. So we'll see. If you don't like it, well, I don't really want to talk to you. Um, <laughs> no, no, in all fairness, guys, happy Father's Day. We're glad you're here. We've, we've started a summer series that we started last week. We're calling Blessed. And we're looking at the first recorded sermon that Jesus gives. This sermon, which happens on a mountain, is called Sermon on the Mount. They weren't real creative with the names of things back then. They just kind of called it what it was. And so this sermon captures Jesus addressing all kinds of different topics and ideas. And it starts off with Jesus listing blessings that we receive from God. And so last week we kicked off reading this. and You'll find this, this sermon in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is the first 
gospel in the New Testament. Gospel meaning good news of Jesus, okay? And so in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3, this is what Matthew wrote that Jesus said. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now the list of blessings that Jesus lists here is, is referred to as a, the Beatitudes. And the word Beatitudes is just a Latin word that stands for state of blessedness. Now, when we think of blessings, we don't tend to think of the list that Jesus just gave. Instead, we think of a lot of different things. We think of marriage, kids, good, a good job, right? Good health, a roof over our heads, friends, good grades, money. And we put on t-shirts the word blessed. I don't know if you've ever seen these or lots of people wearing shirts that have blessed across the front of them. Why do we do that? Because when we look at our lives and when we're happy and we're content and we're feeling good about our place in this world, we think, I'm blessed. Just this week, I was out with some guys from staff and we were grabbing some lunch and I saw a guy wearing a t-shirt and on the t-shirt it had praying hands holding a big wad of cash on it. And it said blessed across the front. And I was actually able to find a picture of the t-shirt just so you can see what I'm drawing. There it is. Uh, this guy was wearing this t-shirt. You, you know, I, I saw it and I thought, I want to show this to these people, but I'm not going to take a picture of this guy in this place because this would be weird. So I came back and I thought, I'll Google it. Um, it all it took was me Googling praying hands, cash, blessed, and this is what t-shirt, and this came up. First thing that came up. Very popular, apparently. Now, you might laugh at that. You might cringe a little bit when you see that. I cringed a little bit when I saw it, if I'll be fair with you. I would dare to say that while most of us are not expecting blessings to be stacks of $100 bills, I don't think we're that far off. Blessings have been poorly defined as our wants <clears throat> and desires being fulfilled. And the problem with that thinking is, is that when we don't get those things, when those things don't happen the way we expect them to, does that mean that God doesn't bless us? I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of us who have had seasons of struggle, seasons where we're not doing well. We can't find work. We don't have many friends. Our relationships are falling apart. Our marriages are ending. We feel alone. We struggle with sickness, right? And even though we believe in Jesus and we believe we are following him, we're not being blessed in the same way. And so does that mean that blessings are only given to certain people? When we look at this passage of Scripture in Matthew, we see Jesus describe blessings to us. What Jesus is doing here is far more than just religious one-liners meant to inspire or comfort or to direct what a good and moral life should look like. 
It becomes problematic for us when that when though when we think that when we don't then these are not one-liners because here's the truth we want to be inspired, we want to be comforted from our hardships. We want to know that we have enough moral fortitude. We want to be in a state of blessedness because there are many things in our lives and people in our lives that will take that from us, that will strip us of that feeling of blessedness. So where do we turn? Jesus is not describing a person who can get their life together, who can work hard, who can take faith more seriously, and then they're rewarded. It's important to know that the Sermon on the Mount is descriptive before it is prescriptive. It describes what the Christian is before talking about what the Christian should do. See, Jesus' kingdom, his redemptive work that he brought, God's redemptive work here, it is now unfolding on earth. Jesus brought that with him. And so God is inviting each and every one of us to be remade, to be, to be recreated as citizens of a new kingdom reality. Jesus is not describing what you've got to do to get into his kingdom. He's describing the heart of a person who will sense the kingdom, who will gain the most from its current and future reality. And so we're going to talk about today's big idea, and it's pulled from verse 4 of, of that Beatitudes list, the blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And our big idea is this, you're blessed when you've lost what you love. You're blessed when you've lost what you love. Well, first we're going to just continue to unpack what Jesus is doing here. We need to look at it more so we get a better picture of what a blessing really looks like. Because when we talk about the meaning of blessing, what blessed in mourning looks like, we, have to we then have to discover how we receive that comfort that Jesus is talking about in this passage. Last week, if you were here, we started off by defining blessing. We talked about what it is, and so we said the definition of blessed is this, a spiritual reward realized now and later in surrender to Jesus. Now, Jesus' audience has gathered here on this mountainside to hear him speak. They're listening to him. Now, most of these people, I'd say almost all of them, <coughs> are, they're Jewish, they're Israelites. And they have been waiting, the Israelites, if you've read the Old Testament, have been waiting for a promised king, a savior, what they called a Messiah. Someone who would come down, who would sit on Israel's throne, who would come and free them from the foreign oppression that they had been dealing with, foreign occupiers who had been ruling them, and someone who would restore Israel's kingdom back to the way they thought it should look. And so they wonder if this man, this Jesus, is the revolutionary that they needed to bring about a new kingdom. And so the natural questions on the heart of every man, woman, child who was listening there would possibly be, am I eligible? Am I righteous enough? Am I good enough to qualify for entrance into this new kingdom that God is about to bring. And so when it's asked, they're considering this. They're thinking this. What must I do so that I can be fulfilled 
for the rest of my life and then into the afterlife? What can I do to be fulfilled? Now, if you take a minute to think about your own priorities, your own lifestyle, your own values that you have in your life, the qu- and, and you and I, we are trying to answer that same question. It's why we put so much emphasis on career choice, right? Make sure you choose the right career. It's why we have multi-billion dollar investment firms who are there to guide us, to help us store away wealth, some for now and some for the future. Make sure you're setting money aside. It's why the conversation, hear me, around sexuality and gender is so volatile. They're saying, choose now what will make you happy and fulfilled in the long term. Sal, you spend the majority of your time, your money, your thoughts, whatever causes you stress, that is how you're trying to answer this primal question that each of us will answer at some point in our lives, which is, am I good enough? Am I good enough? And Jesus is answering the question, but not in the way you think. See, the kind of blessing that Jesus talked about here, it's not a physical one per se. It's not relational or financial or circumstantial. You'll notice all those things can be lost. Your relationships can end. Your marriages can end. You can lose friends. Your finances can wither away. Those things can happen, right? Your circumstances can change. Maybe many of us don't even have some of those things. They are temporary. They are fragile things. Any one of them could be gone at any moment. And so then what? What do we do? See, Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom he promised, isn't dependent on circumstance. It doesn't only come to you if you're well off financially. It doesn't come to you if you're only if you're married or if you have kids. It doesn't come to you if you're the best at following all the rules. So the blessedness that opens your heart and life to his kingdom, that can't be circumstantial either. Those blessings can't change. These are an eternal item that lasts forever. And you can't earn blessing from God because of your behavior. If blessings were behavior rewards, listen, then moment by moment, every single day, we would be in this up and down joy and turmoil situation because in one second, we'd be doing the things that we think would bring us the blessings and be in joy, and in the next second, we'd make a mistake and be like, well, I've lost it. We're not that moral. We're not that good. We're going to mess up. See, the blessing that God's kingdom gives is a spiritual blessing. It awakens your heart. It brings your inner self to a new reality. It can be tangible. It can be physical. It can be eternal. It can, it can make you feel that. Your blessedness has been lying dormant. And Je- Jesus' kingdom is, is about to awaken it in you. You're blessed when you've lost what you love. We love that life that we want. We love that control. But we have to pursue the blessing that Jesus offers. 
In the sermon, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. See, when you awaken to the state of mourning, you're going to unveil the blessing of mourning, which is this, God's comfort. That's the blessing you get in that mourning, is God's comfort. See, this is in direct opposition to our senses and experiences. So what are we mourning? What do we mourn? I think this goes back to what we see as blessing. We often mourn the things that we lose, that we wanted in our lives. We mourn the love, a loved one's death, right? We mourn the loss of a job, the loss of a marriage, the change in our lives that causes us to have to give up something that we desired so deeply. Those are the things that we love. And when those things are gone, we begin to mourn. And yet these are not all the things that Jesus was referencing when he talked about mourning. Scripture will help us paint a picture of the things we, as Christ followers, right? Disciples is what we're called. The things that we mourn. I think Christians have three things, at least three things, that touched our hearts to such an extent that sorrow, mourning, may ex they experience so much that they may be brought to tears. See, God wants people to be sensitive to the suffering, the pain, the torment caused by sin in our lives, right? Both our sin and the sin of other people. He wants us to have pain there, and he wants us to be compassionate to, to those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. It's clear in Scripture that God mourns with, when we lose a person dear to us. At the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus saw his family and friends mourning him, crying, grieving, and Scripture is clear, he wept. It shows you that God has a heart for people's mourning. He mourns with them in those moments. So we as believers, we need to mourn with those people who lose someone on this earth. Death is an inevitable force that will strike every human on this planet. It will. And even the knowledge of God's great plan doesn't take away the pain and the mourning that we deal with at such of these losses. But this is not all we mourn. We also mourn for the repentance of our sins. Repentance, it's a really churchy word, right? Like you've probably heard that here. It literally means just to turn the other direction. Change your ways. And repentance is something we find when we hand our lives over to God. We are saying to Jesus, Jesus, listen, I need you. I need you to change the way that I've been living. I need you to guide me. I need you to take me in the right direction. And so when God leads us to repentance, when he leads us to this place where we know we need to change our ways, we realize we come to a point where we understand the force of our sin in our lives, what sin has done to us. And it starts with a godly sorrow over the sins that then leads to real change. Now, Paul, a guy named Paul, who wrote many of these letters that we read in the New Testament of the Bible, Paul was a guy who followed Jesus after Jesus had already died. He'd been, he had already resurrected. He'd already returned to heaven. And Paul became a disciple, and he began to tell other people about Jesus. And Paul... He wrote a letter to a church in a place called Corinth. 
And in this place, and we're going to find this in, in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. So if you've got your Bible or a Bible app, why don't you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Guys, we're going to put the words here on the screen. But I just want you to know, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, we've got them available at the Hub. You get one today before you leave. Take it with you. We want you to have that. Now, Paul is writing this letter to a church in Corinth. And this church is struggling with how to follow Jesus appropriately. They have infighting. They've got division. And Paul, he's writing to teach and encourage them. And so this is the second letter that he wrote to them. And Paul finds out from someone else, again, someone must have told him or they wrote back, that the church members who received this, they were hurt by some things that he had written previously. Now, at first, Paul, Paul will say he's sad, but then he realizes the importance of what he wrote. Let's read this together in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 8. He said, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. Paul says that he rejoices. He says, not because I made you upset. I'm not happy about the grief. What I am happy about is that the grief, the mourning, it has led to repentance. It's led to heart change. They saw the error in their way, he says. And then he goes on to make this surprising statement. He said, godly sorrow brings repentance. And that repentance, right, leads to salvation. And it doesn't leave regret, but worldly sorrow, he says, worldly sorrow brings death. He says, I mean, I love what he says here, and he says, look at what, look at what your sorrow and your, and your repentance has led to. It has led you to be more, more earnest in the church. You're, you're openly sharing with each other what's happening. It's, it's leading to a, to a life, a zeal, he calls it, in, in, the, in faith. He's saying it's leading to you want to do right to other people and to help others and to be right with God. It is changing your heart. Verse 10 in here describes two ways of reacting to pain or sorrow. It says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. When you lean into God with your sorrow, you, you don't have regret because you know that Jesus forgives, that Jesus came for you. You lean into that. But he says, sorrow born in a worldly way, sorrow built upon you not getting the things that you want, sorrow built upon you getting your desires not being filled, that leads to regret. That leads to these, these things of like deadly effect of resentment and bitterness. That's death, is what he's saying. See, what makes suffering remedial, what makes it not last in the way they do. It's not the actual experience of the suffering that makes it that. It's the reaction to it. 
I've seen people suffer over things for a long time because they can't let it go. They can't let God move in their life. They hold on to the sorrow out of grief, out of regret, out of shame. That grief creates death in their life. But the grief, the form of mourning that Paul talks about here, has led to repentance of sin. It's led to them turning to God, changing their heart. And that's how Paul says they've been comforted. Now, we also mourn for the sins of other people. Paul wrote another letter to a church in Rome. And he hit on this idea when he wrote to the Roman church. Look at what he writes in chapter 3 of Romans, starting in verse 10. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have all together, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What you see here is Paul grieving the sins of the world. Paul looks around and he sees the brokenness of the world around him and he is mourning that in this passage. And we do that sometimes as well. You may be a person that looks at the state of this world. You look at the culture around you and you see the addiction and the broken homes and the darkness and the definitions of identity that are not based upon God's view of us and it hurts you. And some of you might be tempted to, to cry out with this righteous anger about how you catch, and you catch yourself saying, like, this world needs God, right? This place is a mess. You guys are ruining this world. And you may sit there today and say, well, that's not really me. Guys, I've been on social media. A lot of people are saying that kind of stuff. Angry, filled posts about how they think the world is broken. And God is actually saying to us, I don't want you to be angry. I want you to mourn this brokenness. Let it bring tears to your eyes. See, these are the things that we mourn. We cry out, Father, heal our hearts, heal the hearts of our families, our friends. Because this is how the Israelites felt in this moment on this side of this mountain. They mourned because they knew they were not worthy of God's love. They could not do enough. And for them, there was this a mourning of the fact that they were doomed to an eternal separation from God. I want you to remember, though, that these blessings, the blessings that we get from God, come from these places of brokenness. You're blessed when you've lost what you love. Because what happens is that Jesus is saying, you're mourning the loss of your soul and the souls of others. But Jesus knew there was an answer coming. He knew that there was comfort on the other side of the cross. Forgiveness of sins. See, repentance can be a painful experience. But there's comfort in knowing that when we repent, 
God forgives our sins and he puts them out of his mind. It says in Psalm 103, he says, as far as the east is from the west. See, in the depth of that remorse, it's possible to see the mercy and greatness of God through what Jesus did for us on the cross. We can be comforted, not because we're good enough or we can earn our place out of that sinful nature that we have. We're comforted because we have a Savior who is willing to die for our sins. He came and he saw the depravity and his heart broke. He shed tears because he could see that we didn't fully get it. And then he chose to die on the cross for our sins. The purity that we love, the relationship we long with our, with our Father in heaven was gone. But Jesus made a way for us to have that blessing once again. When I perform a funeral for a person, and I've done a few, I always focus on the gospel of Jesus. The good news of what Jesus did, because at that moment we celebrate the resurrection. After the death of a loved one, the knowledge of the resurrection can be very comforting. Knowing that this life isn't all there is, but that God has something even greater in store is such a huge source of comfort. This is a beautiful thing to recognize, that we are blessed to be able to know our eternal hope, that future kingdom that's yet to come. And in that future moment, we get a promise of the comfort that we will receive even further. See, this world is broken. We know that. There is death, disease, war, famine, children and families in pain, broken, broken homes, identity confusion. There's darkness in this world. And we mourn and cry out for God to do something. And Scripture makes it clear, God will do something. In Revelation, which is a book written as a future vision of God's kingdom, okay? We get to see the comfort that will come. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Now, I, I, I can hardly get through that passage without being overcome with emotion. Because it's so powerful to see what God's blessing really looks like. He's looking at us and saying, I will heal you. I will wipe away those tears because I will create a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more pain, no more death, no more darkness. Hearts will be mended. Jesus made a way for all of us who believe. That is comforting. That is a blessing. Today, I just want to tell you, if you're struggling, if you're mourning something in this season, if you're mourning the life that you've yet to give over to God, me and my, some of our prayer team will be down front here during this song after communion. We want to pray with you. We want to lift you up. We want to 
care for you because that's what we're called to do with each other. Come down and pray with us. Let us, let us comfort you with the love that God gives. That blessing of Jesus' forgiveness for that eternal life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, in seasons of darkness, in seasons of mourning and grief, Lord, we, we are comforted by the fact that your son Jesus came to be with us, that he chose to live as one of us, that he gave his life for us so that we could be in relationship with you. Today, Lord, we thank you for that comfort, that those of us who mourn our sins, who mourn the darkness, who mourn our lives given over to our desires can be comforted knowing that Jesus made a way for all of us no matter what. Thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.